This is Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and these are the words that he pens. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our great God stands forever. You may be seated. Three main thoughts on your outline this morning would encourage you to take notes. I think you'll listen better if you do. Number one is this. We are called to offer ourselves to God with thankful hearts because of His mercy. Because of His mercy. When we realize something of the mercy of God, thankfulness will result. We offer ourselves to God with thankful hearts because of His mercy. I want to confine us first just to verse uh, 1a. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And notice that Paul says, I appeal to you. I appeal to you. It's interesting that Paul is not commanding here. Paul's appealing. Why? Because he's talking to brothers. He's talking to sisters. He's talking to like-minded believers. And so he's appealing to us as a brother on behalf of Christ. He appeals to us. Paul could have rightly used his apostolic authority as a means of of commanding here. He could have elicited our attention by commanding us here, but instead he appeals to us. You see, I appeal to you is the language of grace. I appeal to you is the language of grace. In Paul's letter to Philemon, he said this, he said, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you, Though I could, and I'm bold enough, yet for your sake, I prefer to appeal to you. When an appeal is made, that appeal is always made on the basis of something. Correct? When you appeal to someone, you try to reason with them and appeal to them, you're reasoning with them and appealing to them on the basis of something. Well, Paul tells us what the basis of his appeal is when he says, I appeal to you, brothers, and here it is, here's the basis, by the mercies of God. That's the foundation upon which Paul comes to us and appeals to us. It is the mercies of God. The basis or the undercurrent of Paul's coming argument is that we have in Christ been the recipients of God's lavish undeserved mercies. Mercy. Notice that Paul uses the plural here too. Mercies, not mercy. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies, plural of God. This is a Hebraism that points to God's numerous and abundant, as in overflowing, brimming forth. Think of the spring that continues to babble and babble and babble and babble and bubble and bubble and bubble and bubble. Day after day after day, it keeps bringing forth fresh water. Well, God's mercy is just like that. They are numerous. They are abundant mercy, mercies. What is mercy, by the way? It's important that we all understand and have a working definition, a biblical working definition of mercy. What does that mean? 
We commonly define mercy as God withholding what we rightfully and justly deserve. Mercy is God withholding, shielding us from, protecting us from, hiding us from, that which we rightly and justly deserve. What do we rightly and justly deserve? Well, we're sinners. We're fallen by nature. We're rebels. What we rightfully deserve is death. Right? What we rightfully deserve is the just condemnation for our sin. Mercy is God withholding that and instead giving us what we don't deserve. We call that grace. Grace. Mercy has the idea of God showing favor and kindness and compassion to the undeserving. That's why we talk about some ministries as being mercy ministries, compassion-oriented ministries. Well, God is compassionate toward us. So compassionate, the psalmist tells us, that in Jesus, He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Boy, that ought to make us thankful. If God gave us what we deserved, we would be without hope. We would stand condemned before Him and crushed under the weight of His holiness. We deserve exclusion from even the faintest particle of God's goodness. We we deserve to be shut out from God's grace. We deserve the death and the condemnation again that our sin has rightly earned. But God... But God, those two little words in Romans chapter 2, or Ephesians chapter 2 rather, but God, being rich in mercy, demonstrated His love for us by crushing His Son, by making us alive in Christ Jesus. Mercy. We sang this morning, and Jeremiah quotes it in Lamentations chapter 3, that God's mercies never fail. God's mercies never come to an end. God's mercies are new with the morning. With every rising of the sun comes fresh mercy from God. How thankful are we for that? Yeah, I'm thankful for a warm meal. I'm thankful for a shelter over my head. I am thankful for faithful friends and family. I am thankful for a job that provides for the means of supporting my family. But I am thankful above all those things for the mercy of Jesus Christ. Because every single one of those things pales in comparison to being without God's mercy. I think about God's mercy as displayed in our reconciliation. Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Let the price that you were, were purchased with create, generate thanksgiving and gratefulness in you so that you glorify God in your body. That's letting your thankfulness translate into your thanks living. You were reconciled with an incredible price. The precious blood of Christ, as a matter of fact. 1 Peter chapter 1, knowing that you were ransomed, that you were purchased, that you were bought from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver. How much stock do we put in that kind of stuff, the things of earth? We put so much stock in that. 
Do you notice what God tells us in 1 Peter? He says that gold and silver pale in comparison to the value of the blood of Christ with which you were purchased if you know Him savingly. Even the most costly things this side of eternity, even the most valuable things this side of eternity pale in comparison to the cost by which you were ransomed and redeemed. And so therefore, let that mercy be the motivation for a life of worship. Let God's undeserved kindness toward you in Christ be the motivation for a life of worship. There is scarcely anything more important for building our commitment or our devotion to Christ than an ever-increasing understanding of the greatness of God and His mercies toward us. As a matter of fact, it's the mercy of God, it's the grace of God, it's the forgiveness of Christ that will compel you to live a holy life. That's Titus chapter 2, right? For the grace of God has appeared. Well, the grace of God has appeared in the form of a person. The person of Jesus Christ. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. That is, all people who have believed. And that grace teaches us or trains us to renounce or to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, but instead to live upright, self-controlled lives in this present age as we wait for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who redeemed us and has called us to be a people for His very own possession that we might in turn be zealous for good works that we might in turn be zealous to live lives that are honoring and pleasing to Christ. You see, God's mercy and God's grace are the motivation for a life of holiness. Have you tasted this mercy and grace? Do you come daily and drink deeply at the well of this mercy and grace? Your thanksgiving to God, your gratitude to God, will be in direct proportion to your coming and drinking at the deep wells of God's mercy and grace. Think about the cross. Ponder the cross. Meditate upon the glories of the cross and what took place there and let that fuel thanksgiving. And let that thanksgiving fuel your thanksgiving, your holiness of life. We offer ourselves to God with, thanks, with thankful hearts because of His mercy. Number two, write this down. We offer ourselves to God with thanksgiving as a living sacrifice. We offer ourselves to God with thankful hearts, with thanksgiving, as a living sacrifice. Look back at your Bible there. Look specifically at this phrase, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Holy and acceptable to God. The first thing we must be reminded of before we look at the particulars of our devotion to Christ is that the Christian life is a life of death. Let me just rewind that statement. It's really, really important. The Christian life is a life that is marked by death. Is marked by death. 
I mean, Jesus said it in Luke 9.23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Well, the cross is an instrument of death. When you take up your cross daily, you pick up a death implement. You know, I, I, I think from time to time, uh, when I see them on bumper stickers or on necklaces or on tattoos or on t-shirts, when I, when I see the image of the cross, I wonder, I wonder, and I, I, let me preface this next statement, I think wearing a cross necklace is wonderful. Let your light shine, okay? If you have a bumper sticker on your car in the parking lot that has a cross on it, praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, if you're going to go home this afternoon and take off your Sunday best and put on your favorite cross t-shirt, praise the Lord. Okay? But I wonder from time to time when I see those types of things, does the person even realize what that means? Do you even realize? Do we even realize it has become the cross has become a commodity? I mean, we sell it. Do we really understand? Are we reminded moment by moment, day by day, what that cross stands for and what that cross means? Because that cross, brothers and sisters, bids us come and die. That's the antithesis of your best life now. The cross bids us come and die. Matter of fact, the Greek word arneomai, it's translated deny. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Arneomai has the idea of renouncing or refusing. It's renouncing self. It's stepping on pride. It's condemning all my pride. It's, it's, it's saying no to self, refusing self, right? It's back to Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared. Teaches us to say what? Say it. No to ungodliness and worldly passions, right? The cross bids us come and die. To renounce or refuse ourselves. In other words, Jesus was saying, those who wish to follow me must take up their death instrument and die daily to their own desires. Friends, let me tell you. Without thankfulness, dying to yourself is nearly impossible. It's, it's challenging enough as we live in this sinful earth suit. As we live in this sinful flesh, it's challenging enough with thankful hearts to die to yourself when there is a lack of gratitude and a lack of thankfulness. Death to self, it won't happen easy. It won't happen easy. Paul uses similar language in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, for the love of Christ controls us. Some of your translations say, for the love of Christ compels us. Why? Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. There's Jesus Christ died. I encourage you to meditate on that, think upon that, ponder on that, journal on that, search the Scripture on that great truth and reality that one has died for all. Therefore all have died. And He, Jesus, died that those who live, that's us who are new creations in Christ, that's those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, He died that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for their sake and was raised. 
And so the language that Paul uses, let me get you back to Romans chapter 12.1 now. Okay? The language that Paul uses in Romans 12.1, look there, you find these words, present, sacrifice, holy, pleasing. All these words actually stem from the Old Testament sacrificial system. That's where those words come from. They all hark back, they all point back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. You see, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, when an offering was brought to the altar, it was consecrated to God and therefore no longer belonged to the one who offered it, but instead to God. And so take that and transpose it back now onto our own lives. Just like in the Old Testament, when the, when the worshiper brought their sacrifice and they laid it upon the altar in, as a sacrifice to the Lord, that sacrifice no longer belonged to the one that was offering it, but instead now belongs to the Lord. So you, who are a living sacrifice, no longer belong to yourself. You've died. Christ now lives in you. Your life no longer belongs to you. It belongs to the one who has saved you and redeemed you. Who shelters you from the destruction that is to come. It's mercy. That's mercy. God gives us, if He so wills, and if He continues to sustain us, 86,400 seconds every single day with which to use those in thanksgiving and to use those with grateful hearts. Maybe a better term is to invest those seconds, not to use them, but to invest them in thanksgiving and in gratitude. I want to look at each of these phrases here that uh, Paul uses. Uh, look at your Bible there. I want to talk first about this phrase, present your bodies. Present your bodies. Paul represents us as believers, as a priestly people. As a priestly people, who in response to God's mercy, present our own bodies as living sacrifices to God. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. This is talking about you, believers. This is who you are in Christ, a holy priesthood. And as a holy priesthood, Peter goes on and he says, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, there was a priest that oversaw the worship that oversaw the sacrifices that were laid upon the temple altar, right? Well now, new covenant, you believer, are referred to as a priest. And you are to bring a sacrifice, namely your body. And you are to lay that sacrifice upon the altar as a sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. That's what Paul's getting at here when he says, present your bodies. The word present is important, very important. It means to offer or to bring into one's presence. So God is calling every believer to bring their bodies into His presence that we might unceasingly offer them up as a spiritual sacrifice motivated by thanksgiving. Paul uses this word present numerous times uh, in Romans. Uh, we see it used most often in Romans chapter 6. Where Paul taught on the reality of the justified believer being dead to sin but alive to God. 
Keep your place there in Romans 12 and turn just back a handful of pages to Romans chapter 6. I want to show you this language. Find Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Verse 13. We'll look at verse 13, we'll look at verse 16, and we'll look at verse 19. Okay? What I want you to pick up on is this language here, present, present yourselves, present your bodies, or the negation of that tells us not to present ourselves to certain things. Okay? Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Paul says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but instead present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. So don't offer, don't give, don't present the members of your bodies to sin as as members of unrighteousness. Instead, offer yourself to God. Present yourself to God and your members as instruments for righteousness. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that if you, here it is, present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves. You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. So you can present yourself in one of two different ways here. You can present yourself to sin, and there's consequences for sin. Or you can present yourself to life. You can present yourself to obedience, which leads to life. Lastly, look at verse 19. Paul says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Thanks, Paul. He goes on and he says here, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, we're going to talk about that next week, by the way. A little sin always invites more sin. Just file that back here, okay? So now, now that you're a new creation in Christ, if you are a new creation in Christ, Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Leading to sanctification. What does Paul mean when he says bodies, by the way? He says present your bodies. What does Paul mean when he says bodies? My question is, is Paul speaking literally or figuratively when he uses the term bodies? Does Paul mean our physical flesh and bone bodies? Well, the crews around respectable commentaries would leave you divided as to whether Paul meant our literal bodies or if he used the word bodies as just a way of saying that God wants your, quote, everything. And so let me just maybe clear up any ambiguity here. Friends, God does want your everything. Okay? Take, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my intellect and use. Use it to honor and to glorify you. Not a might would I withhold. Take my money. Take my motivations. Take my ambitions. Take my thoughts. Take my words. Take my relationships. Take my job. Take it all. Yeah, yeah. Does God want your everything? You better believe it. He's worthy of your everything. But I don't think Paul is just talking about your everything here. I think Paul is talking specifically about your body. 
the earth suit that you reside in this side of eternity. I think Paul is returning to, or referring to our literal physical bodies here in verse 1. Paul says that we're to present our literal bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And so the question I have for you here is where in the world would we go? Where in the world would we turn in the Bible to look for principles that teach us how we are to use this body, okay, this body, in order to glorify God? Or ways that we are to use this body as a means for worship, motivated by thanksgiving as a means for worship. Well, Paul gives us a wonderful theology of sin in the body in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Again, keep your place there uh, very briefly in Romans chapter 12 and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I just want to clip these off for you real quick. We are going to have to make good time here and I'm going to figure out how I'm going to do that while you're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 13. And just like we did in Romans 6 here, we'll look at verse 13, 15, 18. I'll mention them again here in just a second. But the question is, what, what principles, what truths are there in the Bible that teach us how we are to use this body? Paul tells us to present our bodies. Remember, you're the priest in Christ. How are you to present your body as a living sacrifice? To use that flesh and blood, flesh and bone body that God has given you as a means of worship motivated by thankfulness. Well, look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 13. Paul says, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. So here's a principle. How can you honor God? How can you present your, your body as a living sacrifice? Well, use your body in honorable and noble ways. Okay? Your body is meant for the Lord. It's not meant for sexual immorality. It's meant for the Lord. Look at verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Okay, okay again, Paul's just undergirding here. Look at verse 18. Paul picks up on this theme again. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immorality, I'm sorry, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Okay, so here, it's very clear. If you want to present your body as a living sacrifice, then don't use your body for sexual immorality. Look at verse 19. Paul says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own. Here's the principle. Your body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Think very carefully about what you do with it. Look at verse 20, lastly. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We're to use our body to glorify God. But there is a tug out there, friends. There's a pull out there. Comes by way of radio and TV, and the ad you see at the checkout line of the grocery store, and in innumerable other places that calls you to use your body for ways that are not pleasing to the Lord. Friends, if you are not thankful for the mercy of God, you'll be very quick to use the vessel that God has given you for honorable purposes, for dishonorable purposes. Do you see the connection? Everybody give me one of these or one of these. 
You see it? Praise the Lord. All right. All right. Present your bodies. Uh, Secondly, look at this phrase. Back to Romans chapter 12. Hope you had your pen there or your outline there. Paul says, present your bodies. Secondly, he says, as a living sacrifice. As a living sacrifice. You see, not only are we as believers, the temple and the priest. Okay, you're the temple and you're the priest, but you're also the sacrifice. You're all three. Here again, we see this language coming forth from the Old Testament sacrificial system. But there is a major contrast between what Paul is saying here and the preparatory Old Testament sacrificial system. Paul says here that we believers are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We present a body that is alive from the dead. Friends, if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ, you are more alive than you have ever been. You're more alive than you've ever been. Yeah, outwardly we're wasting away. Inwardly we're being renewed. Day by day. We present a body that is alive from the dead. And what Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. He said, I no longer live, but Christ. Christ definitely is alive. And He lives in me. So what, Paul? Paul gives us the so what in Galatians 2.20. And he goes on and he says, So the life I now live in this flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's mercy. Brothers, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your body as a living sacrifice. Mercy. The word living also carries with it the idea of permanence. In other words, we're to present our bodies as a continual or ongoing sacrifice. Again, this is where thanksgiving and gratitude must be connected. It's an ongoing, permanent, living sacrifice that must be born out of a life that is marked by thanksgiving. Friends, let me just remind you that all of life is worship. All of life is worship. Worship is not confined to 10.30 to 11.45 on Sunday mornings. Worship is not confined to your Bible study or your devotional time or your quiet time in the morning. All of life is worship. All of life is worship. Woe to us if we think that worship, i.e. offering ourselves to God, is confined to two hours on Sunday morning. Brothers and sisters, you are a living sacrifice, a perpetual, continual sacrifice. Look back at your Bible there. Paul says that we're to present ourselves. We're to present ourselves, he tells us, as a living sacrifice. And then he adds this word, holy. Holy. Holiness means set apart. God has called His children to live in this world in such a way as sets His holiness on display. If you're not thankful for all that you possess in Jesus Christ, you are not going to be very excited day in and day out about living a life that shines light on, casts light on, and sets God's holiness on display. The people who are the most excited, the most eager, the most zealous 
To set God's holiness on display. To say, look world, look at the holiness of my God. Those people are the most thankful people. You can't, you can't, you can't zip their mouth up. You can't quiet them. You can't still their heart. It just comes out. Thankful people set the holiness of their God on display for the whole world to see. Primarily in how they conduct their own lives in a holy and upright way. You want to set the holiness of your God on display? Live holy. Live holy. Live distinctly different from the world in which you live. That's a high calling. We're called to be holy because God is holy. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You ask yourself, well, how important is holiness really? Well, it's really, really important. Because without it, no one will see the Lord. You know, oftentimes we want to know how close uh, to the sin line we can get without crossing it. Let me just say, uh, thankfulness for the mercy of God will keep you farther away from the sin line. Thankfulness to God for all you've been given in the person and work of Jesus Christ will keep you far away from the line of sin. Keep you far away from sin. James tells us that we're oftentimes lured and enticed by sin. Well, if we're living lives that are marked by thankfulness for what we have in Christ, that lure won't look as reflective. That lure won't look as shiny. That lure won't look as tasty. Right? Holy. Live a holy life. I have much more that I wanted to say there, but for the sake of time, let me just move uh, and draw your attention to this last phrase here. Acceptable to God. Acceptable to God. We are to live lives uh, that are marked by presenting ourselves to God. Or to present ourselves how? Well, as a living sacrifice. How else as holy? And then lastly, acceptable to God. Well, acceptable means well-pleasing. Acceptable means well-pleasing. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9? He said, so whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please God. Okay, when I think of aim, I think about... Uh, you know, uh, shooting or target practice or taking the dart and standing before the dartboard. But any time, any time that you aim, that means that you are also being intentional, right? You, you don't just blindfold yourself and just kind of toss the dart and, hit, and hope to hit the bullseye. No, you aim at the bullseye, right? You aim at the target. Well, Paul tells us, so whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim that's intentional to please Christ, to please Christ. Friends, brothers, sisters, is that your high and lofty ambition to please Christ with your life? Specifically, to please Christ with your body. Let me just give you a handful of ways here. Uh, let, me, let me give them to you by question that you can seek to please Christ as it pertains to your body. To your body. Think about this question. What do you put on it? What do you put on your body? Is that pleasing to the Lord? Is, is that, is that the, the, the sacrifice that you want to offer to the Lord? Think about what do you put on your body? Does your clothing reflect the Christ that your lips profess? 
Now, I'm not trying to be a legalist here, okay? But holiness, again, is really, really important. Okay? Does what you wear frame your face or does it frame your body? Think about that. Okay? Does what you wear, does it frame your face or does it frame your body? What do you put on it? How about this question? What do you put in it? You want to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? Well, think about what you put in it, right? Moderation and self-control can be difficult, but it honors God, right? I mean, I like ice cream just like the rest of us. Sometimes too much, right? What do we put in it? How about this? Where do you take that body? Where do you take it? There are places in this world that I do not want to be if Jesus Christ comes back. Where do you take it? How about your mind? What do you think about? What do you think about? When it's just you and what bounces around between your ears, what do you think about? What do you think about? Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is anything that is excellent, anything worthy of praise, Paul says, think about these things. Think about these things. Think about your mind. How about your eyes? What will you look at? What will you look at? Fellas, let me get your attention real quick here. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. Think deeply upon that statement. And that doesn't mean that lust is confined to the male gender. It's certainly not. Okay? Think about your eyes. What will you look at? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Okay? It'll be a whole lot easier to turn away from the second look of lust if thankfulness is what's brimming over in your heart. I'm so thankful for Christ. I'm so thankful for His mercy. I'm so thankful for the cross. I'm so thankful for my new life in Him. I'm so thankful that He doesn't treat me as my sins deserve. Why on God's green earth would I look at that? You see? You see? How about your mouth? What will come out of it? Your mouth, what will come out of it? Your ears, what will you listen to? How about your hands, what will you use them for? By the way, are they serving others? You want to use your hands as a living sacrifice? Use them in service to Christ and others. And then how about your feet? Where will they take you? Where will they take you? Proverbs chapter 4, Ponder the path of your feet, and all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your evil foot away. Or sorry, turn your foot away from evil. Lastly, we need to land the plane here. Number three, we offer ourselves to God with thanksgiving because to do so is reasonable in light of God's undeserved kindness toward us. We offer ourselves to God with thankful hearts because to do so is reasonable. It's a reasonable ask in light of God's undeserved kindness to us. The word spiritual Look at the last phrase in Romans 12, verse 1 there, which is your spiritual act of worship. The word spiritual in your Bible, it's the Greek word logikos. It's the word from which we derive our English word logical. Logical. 
It goes without saying that the presentation of your body as a living sacrifice is most certainly spiritual worship, but a better translation is that the the presentation of our bodies as a living sacrifice is your reasonable or your rational, it is your logical worship in light of all He's done for you. You see how thanksgiving, again, must permeate your thanksgiving. Reasonable implies that God isn't asking too much of you. Paul is in essence saying total commitment or total devotion to God is the only logical, reasonable, rational response when we see how merciful God has been to us. Therefore, partial commitment and devotion is irrational. Partial devotion, partial commitment is irrational. It's irrational. In his hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, Isaac Watts penned these words. He said, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Friends, is that true of you? Is it true of you that he has your your life, your soul, your all? I hope so. God wants your body to be used in worship to honor him, and you must be thankful if you endeavor to do that. In light of the riches of God's free and unmerited grace and mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, logical act of worship. And God, He gives us the grace to make it so. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. I pray that each person here today would uh, have a heart that is marked by thankfulness, gratefulness, gratitude, Lord, would you cause us to to well over, to brim forth uh, with exceeding thankfulness. Therefore, we will enter the courts of the Lord with thankfulness. With thankfulness. Father, help us to ponder, to think about, to meditate on, to dwell on uh, your great mercy that you have uh, displayed to us in the person and work of your Son, that we might live lives that are honoring and pleasing to you, holy, and that holiness fueled by thankfulness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.